singing that <clears throat> song reminds me, we have a Wednesday night service at 6.30, and I, I preach in it, and we're going through the uh, topic of how to be holy, and we sing hymns. So if you like hymns, that's what we do on Wednesday night. Uh, reminds me of when I was a kid. And, and so anyway, you're all welcome, 6.30 Wednesday night, just in case you forget. Uh, by the way, I love you. And uh, good to see all of you. In your notes, we're going to rip right through this because I got 22 points. And I went a little long last night, so I got to uh, go fast. So write fast. If, if you don't get it all, you can get it later if, online if you like. Number one, we're commanded to love one another the same way that Jesus loves us. We're commanded to love one another the same way Jesus loves us. Some of you are thinking, I know that. Somebody asked me this last week. I hear you're preaching this weekend. I said, yeah, I am. Are you going to give us something uh, profound and new and, you know? I said, no, it's going to be some same old, same old. Basic stuff. It's not much more basic than love each other. That's about as basic as it gets. It's not just basic, it's foundational. That means everything is built on that one thing. And if you don't do this one thing, it doesn't really matter what else you know if you don't have this one down. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. Is Jesus speaking? You love one another just as I have loved you. The same way I have loved you, Jesus said, you're to love one another. I don't know if you knew this or not, but right now, the last 18 months, one in seven churches in our country is closed. That's more than any other period that they've been keeping track of that sort of thing. More churches have closed in the last 18 months than any previous 18 months in the last billion years, or however long they keep track. Uh, that's not good. You want to start churches, not close them. So why? What's the reason? Well, the obvious quick answer is COVID. Well, it isn't because people died. It's because they quit going to church. And you'd think they quit going to church because, well, they don't want to catch COVID. That's not really the reason. The reason is, is because churches started fighting a lot. Uh, because there's all these various views and camps, and now we have this cancel culture. And the culture of the world has penetrated the church. And so if you don't agree with me, then I'm just going to you. And then pretty soon people don't like anybody and they leave and go somewhere else and after a while there's not enough people coming to pay the bills and so they just close the doors. One in seven have closed the doors and it's pretty much this principle, not COVID, that's done it, is the failure to practice this command that Jesus gave. Uh, number two, loving one another is the fulfillment of every command in the Bible. So did you know that there's over 700 commandments in the Old Testament and only one in the New? Man, I'm sure thankful I live now instead of then. I couldn't keep track of that many. I'd for sure blow some of them. I grew up in a church where there were a lot of them. You didn't go to movies, you didn't dance, you didn't buy beer in a store that, or excuse me, buy groceries in a store that sold beer, you didn't own a pool table, you didn't bowl. I mean, it's a long list of uh, things you didn't do. And, but really, uh, if you read the New Testament, there's only one commandment given. Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You pull that one off and you've got it all taken care of. Uh, you are obeying every commandment in the Bible when you love others the way Christ loves you. 
Number three, loving one another is a significant test of whether we are genuinely born, genuinely born again. So I'm convinced that there's going to be a lot of people that die or Jesus comes back and they think they're in and they're going to get the bad news that they're not. Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me. I don't have a clue who you are. Now the sad thing about that event occurring in anyone's life is that, and you say, oh, I thought I was in. Now I find I'm out. Jesus, can I have a do-over? A mulligan. Can I go back and try again? It's too late. Hell is a long time. And if you want to know, are you a Christian or not, there's a lot of people who say they are because they believe in a historical fact, give uh, intellectual assent to an event that occurred in the past, sort of like Abraham Lincoln existed, Jesus was born. They believe that that's what it means to believe in Jesus, is to give an assent to that fact. Uh, Are you really a believer or not? Well, there's a test. John, 1 John 3, 14. We know, we know, we know that we have passed out of death into life. That is, we become a believer in Jesus because, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So are you a born-again Christian? Well, if you love the brethren or at least want to, desiring to, making an effort to, something changes inside when we become a Christian the Spirit of God lives in us, and there's in us this hunger, this desire uh, to love people. Number four, loving others is not easy. It's certainly not natural. We have to choose to do it. I'm naturally selfish, naturally uh, slow to forgive, naturally mean-spirited. You know, if my wife were in here, I could, I, she'd be nodding her head. Uh, so I have to choose to be a lover of people. And so every morning I have a little prayer of commitment and I pray, Lord, today I will read your word. Today I will be devoted to prayer. Number of commitments. And one of them is today, Lord, just today, I will love any person you sovereignly bring into my life, no matter how difficult or how hard they might be to love. Today I will. And so sometimes someone walks up to me in the foyer and I think, oh, wow, I don't want to talk to that individual. And then I think, oh. Today, I will love any person you sovereignly bring into my life, no matter how difficult or how hard they might be to love. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you today. Wow, you're looking good. Uh, you choose. You make a choice, a commitment uh, to be a lover of people. Number five, the test of our obedience to this command is in loving the unlovable, the disagreeable, the unmasked or the masked, depending on where you are, the vaxxed or the unvaxxed, depending on where you are, the Democrats or the Republicans, depending on where you are. And, you know, there's some people in our church that have said, please pray for me, Pastor, I'm going to lose my job because I'm not getting vaccinated. Other people have been vaccinated like 10 times. Uh, so, you know, you're here, here. and So we used to have a lady in our church a number of years ago. She came up to me and she said, Pastor, I'm pretty sure you're going to hell. Well, you know, I don't hear that often, but so she kind of got my attention. I said, why? Because you have murdered hundreds of fish. <laughs> and you actually like it. Uh, you know, I didn't realize this about her, but she was quite an animal rights person. And in fact, she stopped attending church because she didn't like it when I sold men's breakfast and say, come to men's breakfast, all the bacon you can eat. Ah, it just grieved her terribly that we were eating pigs. Uh, so, 
That's probably the greatest challenge I've personally ever had, loving someone that was difficult to love. I mean, she thinks I'm going to hell because I kill fish. At least she thought I killed hundreds of fish. That was a plus. <laughs> Luke 6:32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. So you know what this COVID thing is? It's a test from God for churches, for Christians. It's a test to see if we really have love. See, love is easy when you like to fish for me. That's not a problem. And if you agree politically with me, eh, we can have a great time together. But the test comes with those that are different and we have these uh, tension points. How are we going to do then? That's the real test of whether we're genuine uh, and the Spirit of God's working in us is when we love those who are difficult, hard to love, and we do whatever it takes uh, to make it happen. Six, love is a verb. It's something we do, not something we say or feel. Now, I have a goal of saying to my wife five times every day, I love you. And if I don't make a goal to do it, I forget and go, you know, a day, a week, a month. And I figure, well, I told her, so I'll tell her if I change my mind. <laughs> that doesn't work really well with Patty, so I make it every day. I tell her five times whenever I see her, I love you, I love you, I love you. But... As good as that is, that's really not what the emphasis in the Bible. First John 3:18, little children, let us love with, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed, indeed, that is, we love by doing things, by uh, meeting needs for people. Seven, love is a big multifaceted command. And I said it was one command, but it, it's sort of like light that goes through a prism. One light, but when you're running through the prison, there's a whole bunch of parts to it. And love has a whole bunch of parts, aspects, uh, we call them. 1 Corinthians 13. This is a good passage to memorize, by the way, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind, not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account the wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the love. That's a lot of aspects to it. And so I'll give you some more. Number one, uh, do not judge or be critical of other people. Those who love others don't judge, or, judge them or be critical of them. Did you know that I'm capable of talking to you in the foyer and smiling, nodding my head, and being super nice and agreeable? And in my head, I'm thinking, this is the stupidest person I've ever talked to. <laughs> so I don't want you to worry. I didn't do it this morning. <laughs> but I'm capable of it, and I have done it. And it may not be that exact phrase, but it may be something different uh, based on what you do or how you look or how you talk. We just do that. That's just the way we are. We notice problems in other people and we have these judgmental, critical thoughts about them. Now, that's natural to me. It's natural to you. We do it without being taught. 
Now, as we grow in our loving of people, what's one of the things we've got to learn how to control and try to get rid of in our life? Uh, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge. That's pretty straightforward. So that you will not be judged. Now, that second judgment is not you judging me. It's God judging me. Don't judge others because if you do, then God's going to judge you. In the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And so Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. So whatever you do and however you judge and the standard that you use is the same one that God's going to use on you. So it, it's really a good thing for us if we're going to stand before Jesus at the end of our life and give an account of our life that uh, we establish the standard, the ruler, by how we treat people in this life. You're setting yourself up for that future judgment by your uh, judging or failure to judge. Number two, pursue peace with anyone and everyone that you're odds with. Pursue peace, that is you think, okay, who doesn't like me? Who is at odds with me? I, I need to fix that. I need to fix that. Romans 12, 18, if possible, there's some people that, you know, they don't want to fix it, so you try, but it doesn't work. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all men. I, I have several relatives, distant relatives, that don't like me because it started way back uh, politically, and some of my blogs I wrote, and they, did, and they got real upset, and so they, they basically declared to me, I'm never going to talk to you again. Hope we never see each other again. If we come to your house, you come to our house. Uh, I'm going to stay in the other, you know, just kind of stuff. And so I, it's easy to think, all right, that's their choice. I'm good with that. I'll live with it. Or I can say, okay, let's see. I need to pursue them and attempt to reconcile and to be a peacemaker. That's not an easy thing to do. Five, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called sons of God. A peacemaker, they're the ones that initiate. They're the ones who think who it is that has a problem, and they go to them and do whatever they can to reconcile, to make peace with them. Number three, be kind and nice. Now, that was the main uh, admonition to our kids. Be nice. Be nice. You know they knew exactly what that meant. They didn't have a problem with understanding what we were saying when we said to them as their parents, be nice. And when the Bible says that to us as an act of love, we, we know what that means. As to treat people with kindness, with honor, with respect. Totally contrary to our culture today. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. For forgive anybody of anything. Anybody of anything. This is absolutely essential if you're going to be a lover of people. Sometimes that sort of just slips in there and, and we don't realize that we've got this bitterness in us. Years ago, back in the 80s, when I was a young, dumb pastor, now I'm an old, dumb pastor, but uh, there was a guy in the church that would talk to other people in the church and he would say things to them about me. We've got this pastor, he can't preach his way out of a wet paper bag. And those kinds of things. And then they would get back to me. And when they did, somebody said something, did you know so-and-so said this about you? I would smile, but it would get stuck in my head. And pretty soon they were like my least favorite person on the planet Earth. Uh, I didn't send them a birthday note. I didn't send them a Christmas card. 
I have my prayer journal where I pray for everybody in the church. I scratch their name off. Because if I prayed for them, I tended to pray that God would kill them. Uh, <clears throat> and then they moved away. They went to a different church. Problem solved. Years later, this individual came to church. I mean, that was when we were in the old building, and they came back years later when we were in this building, right as we started moving into it. And I recognized him immediately, and he walked up and smiled and was very nice and very friendly, and I'm very nice and very friendly, but inside my head, I'm thinking all these mean, nasty thoughts uh, about him. And uh, he said, I've got cancer. And a couple of weeks later, he died. Shortly after that, we had a communion service like this morning, and in that service, I preached on, it's important that you forgive anybody of anything, you know, and whenever you take communion, you got to make sure you have a clean slate. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, his name popped into my head. It's like, boop. And I thought, wow, I'm preaching to everybody here. They need to do this, and I've got this in me. And so I, I took care of it. It took me several months of every day, every day, every day saying, Lord, I choose to forgive so-and-so because you have forgiven me. I choose to forgive every day because it just didn't want to go away. But after a couple of months, then it, it was, I thought, ah, wow, I got, I got free of that one. And so that's what love is. We forgive anybody of anything. Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Five, encourage those that are discouraged and down. Encourage those that are discouraged and down. There's lots of people that are just struggling in all areas of life, and we get an opportunity just to say a word and, and encourage them, uh, give them some courage by the words that we speak into their life. I used to run marathons back when I was young and skinny, and I was running one in Vancouver, British Columbia. It was about 20,000 people, and it was a big one. And there's a section in that one where there's about a to eight miles, forget exactly, but it's uphill for a long, long ways. And it culminates on a bridge. And you go up this bridge and you go down the other side. And I'm, I'm plugging up the bridge. And it seemed like the top of that bridge is a long ways away. And I'm just about toast. I'm just basically doing what my kids call the Duke Shuffle. Uh, little steps, pretty slow, barely moving. Probably could have walked faster. And there was a dude sitting up there in a lawn chair... And he yells at me. I had a bib number on, and it was 440. He said, hey, 440! I looked up, and he stands up, and he's got this piece of cardboard. And on the piece of cardboard, it says, you can do it. He picked it up. He said, I wrote this just for you. <laughs> now, I knew that he didn't do that just for me, but it was amazing how powerful those words were, and all of a sudden, just giving me energy to be able to Make it to the top and down the other side. Uh, just a few words from somebody I'd never met and have never met since. And words have power to give grace. We choose to speak words that give courage and, and encouragement to people. That's a huge act of love within the church family, within the body. First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another. Build up one another. That's what people who love one another do. Number six, absolutely never, ever, 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 never gossip or slander anyone. That is the most contrary love of, act of love that there is. 
is to tear someone's reputation down in someone else's mind or eyes. It's easy to do. Again, that's our culture. That's our national pastime. It's not football or basketball. It's gossip and slander. That's what we do as a country now. Easy to get caught up in that. But as a church, as a believer, a follower of Jesus, we've got to be absolutely careful that we don't do that. 2 Corinthians 12, 20, I'm afraid that when I come and that I may find you not to be what I wish. Paul's writing to one of his daughter at churches he planted. He says, I'm going to come see, and I'm kind of nervous about it because some of you are not doing well, that I, perhaps there will be strife and jealousy and anger, tempers and disputes and slanders and gossip and arrogance and disturbances. Um, and then he's going to have to scold some people for that behavior. Seven, pray for one another. Nothing has more power to fill a church with love and unity than when we pray for each other and pray with each other. It is supernatural in its power, and so I need to pray for you, and I do. I pray for every one of you by name every week. And we have prayer times. We pray together, and it's what makes us a, a, a growing in life. 18, there we go. Ephesians 6, 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. Petition for all the saints. Or pay attention. Do you get the, the prayer letter? You should get the prayer letter. If you don't get the prayer letter, put it on your card at the end of the service. I'd like the prayer letter. It'll be emailed to you, and all those prayer requests are there. There's a lot of them. You may not get through it, and you won't know most of them, but there's nothing in our church that makes us one, causes God to bless and creates love as much as praying for one another does. Do you know what else you can do with that prayer letter? You'll see places in there where somebody's got a problem, a need, and you could... Do something about that. You could meet the needs. You could send an, an email of encouragement. You could take a meal. Any number of things you could do if you're paying attention and are proactive and you're loving people in the church body. <clears throat> Number eight, help those with needs. Help those with needs. And you do that because you see it. You take advantage of the opportunity to do something to meet a need in someone's life. 1 John 3, 17 Whoever has the world's good sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? And so it's a simple, easy thing to do. Number eight, I can learn how to fish. I can learn how to build a boat, and I can learn to love people. I hear people all the time say, that's just not who I am. Well, then change. That's what we're capable of doing. We can learn, and learning how to love people is something that believers, Christians, ought to do within a church, is to love our family, our church family. Titus 3.14, let our people learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. Isaiah says, learn to do good, learn. Number nine, God has made rules of life, and when we follow them, life works. They're usually opposite of the world's rules, so we often are ignorant of them. And the world's not doing too well on those rules. You can just look and see at our culture's doing and what's happening because they're breaking all the rules that God's established. Then there's simple basic rules like the rule of gravity. If you take a big old rock that weighs 50 pounds, drop it on your foot, it's going to hurt. Nine times out of ten. Right? No, ten times out of ten. God's laws are consistent. It'll hurt me, it'll hurt you, it'll hurt anybody. Law of God is gravity, and it happens to everybody. You violate it, you pay a price. It's like playing football or basketball. There's certain rules. You break the rules, you pay the price. 
Um, Paul uses that. He says, 2 Timothy 2.5, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, do you know God's rules? Proverbs 14.12, there's a way which seems right to a man. Its end is the way of death. That's because uh, they're on the world's rules, not God's. Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And so we need to discover God's ways. Ten, love is sacrificial. We sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others. We put others ahead of ourselves. So <clears throat> if we were to say, what's the single most accurate, clearest picture of Christian love in a church it would be Jesus hanging on the cross Jesus hanging on the cross why did he do that because he loved us what did it cost him everything that's the picture that we have as our model of how we are to love John 15 13 greater love is no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends the one lay down his life for those that are in his church that is, you pay a price in order to meet someone else's needs. <clears throat> and that kind of love God blesses and honors. 1 John 3, 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The brethren, that's those that are in our church. This is what we ought to do. Love and a basic rule, here's one of those rules of life that God has established, is that when we put others ahead of ourselves, our needs will be met. We put ourselves first, our needs will not be met. Now, the world doesn't understand that, but that's a law of God as sure as gravity. If I work at meeting your needs, my needs will be met. If I say, okay, I'm not going to meet your needs, I'll take care of me first, then my needs won't be met every time. That's the way God works. That's the way his law is. It's consistent. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. The level at which you give to others, meet needs of others, love others, to that same measure, it will be done to you. you. You dictate how your needs are met. Number 12, the more we do for others, the more God will do for us. Pretty simple to say. Once we get it in our head, this is a law. More I do for you, the more God will do for me. God is all-powerful. He blesses, and he works, and he provides, and he does that for those who love others sacrificially. To the degree that we do that, to that degree, same degree, God does that for us. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect doing good, sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Psalms 34, 14, depart from evil, do good, uh, good deeds, seek peace, pursue it. Eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. <clears throat> Number 13, <clears throat> the more we do for others, the more others will do for us. The law of God. Law of God, gravity works not 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. God's laws work consistently all the time. Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. This is the law and the prophets. That last phrase, this is the law and the prophets. Jesus, this is set in concrete. 
This is the way it is. However you want people to treat you, treat them. Luke 6, 31, just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. 14, here's a super, super important rule. Our relationship with God is impacted, determined by how well we do loving others. How close are you to God, really? Easy to become uh, fooled there. A lot of people are religious, but they don't have a real, genuine relationship with God. They don't have an intimacy with Him that's genuine and real. How do you get close to God? I can't see Him, I can't hear Him, I can't touch Him. And so Bible is very clear on this one, I get close to you. And if I get close to you, I will get close to God. If I love you, I will have an intimate relationship with God. If I'm independent, self-sufficient, you take care of you, I'll take care of me, then you'll never have a relationship with God that's meaningful or intimate. It's not possible. Uh, that's the law of God. 1 John 4, 12, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. You notice the word if? If God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. First John 4.20, if someone says, I love God, hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I hear people say that all the time. Uh, you know, I love God, I just can't stand the church. Uh, you know, you don't want to stand next to them. They're going to get struck by lightning. Um, number 15, another amazing rule is that the more we love others, the more God answers our prayers. I like the idea of praying and getting answers. I like the idea of praying and God listening. I like the idea of praying and changes things. Now, there's some people who, when they pray, God works. There's other people, when they pray, God doesn't pay any attention to what they're saying. And in fact, it says their prayer is an abomination to him. 1 John 3, 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because, because there's a condition attached. Because, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Love one another. When that's true of us, then whatever we ask, we receive. 16, God loves the whole world. We can't. We can't pull that one off, but God gives, brings opportunities into our life to love some. You read the prayer letter, and you read some, ah, a thought pops in. I could do something. I could meet a need. I could take a meal. I could pray. I could send an email. I could make a phone call. You can only love some, and God will provide those opportunities for you. They'll just go by like a train. You got an opportunity to get on that one? Oh, you let that one go. You got an opportunity to get on that one? You let that one go. And pretty soon you don't do a whole lot. John 3, 16, God loved the whole world. God loved the whole world, gave his son Jesus. Galatians 6.10, so then while we have opportunity, that's a divine appointment, let us do good. Problem is we don't look for them much. We're too busy. Colossians 4.5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. 
17, the biggest barrier that we have in our pursuit of being a good lover of others is the inconvenience factor. So love people proactively, doing good deeds, saying things, meeting needs, encouraging, building up. Why don't we do that? Well, because we're busy. We're busy with our jobs, with our house, with our boats, with our cars, with our lawns, with our dogs, with our cats. And pretty soon, when the opportunity comes, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. Jesus was asked this question after he said, love God with all your might, heart, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself, and you've done it all. And so the follow-up question was, who's my neighbor? Kind of a smart aleck, know-it-all person in the audience. And uh, Jesus tells his story. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, went off, leaving him half dead. By chance, a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. All kinds of conjecture on why. Jesus doesn't tell us why. I think, knowing myself, it was just simply the fact is, I've got to be at this meeting in 10 minutes, I don't have time. This could turn into a half-day thing. Likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. I got a meeting. I got this. I got that. I got all this stuff. to. I don't have time. A certain Samaritan who was on journey came upon him, saw him, felt compassion, came to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil, wine on them. He put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, did he have more time than the others? I doubt it. He just that he chose to take time because there was a person in his path, on his journey, that he could meet a need for. 18, another very important rule that we forget is when we are faithful to the opportunities that God brings into our life to love others, he will give us his strength. A lot of people in this world say daily, I am so tired. I am so tired. God gives strength to the weary. That's a few weary, not a lot, every weary, just some. In fact, a small, small sum. Because there's some conditions that he's attached to that. He gives strength, but who does he give strength to? Colossians 1.29, For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because, because, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. And so one of the things is that when we choose to meet needs in other people's lives, to be a lover of people, it takes time, it takes energy, we're tired, we need to take a nap. God gives strength. He gives strength to those who obey him, to those who serve him, those who does his will. 19, when we are faithful to the opportunities God brings into our life, he will give us joy. He will give us joy. We're, we're seeking that, wanting that every place. We look for it in circumstances and events. Uh, God gives joy, not money. God gives joy, not cars. God gives joy, not fish, not even a hundred fish. Psalm 16:11. you will make known to, to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. 
20, this is a cool one. Probably the most paradoxical rule of love is that when we are faithful to the opportunities that God brings into our life to love others, we will have more time. We will have more time. Now that's odd, isn't it? You take time away from your schedule and you give it to others and now I'm saying God says you get more time. There's only 24 hours in a day. You can't create time. You ever have a flat tire? Do you ever ever have a wheel bearing going out? Uh, every time I go fishing, a wheel bearing goes out. You ever have an engine blow up? Ever have somebody call and say they're sick? How many different kinds of emergencies can pop into your life in a day that you had no plan for, you didn't expect them, but they happen? How much time do they take? When the nation of Israel went from captivity back to the promised land, one of the assignments from God was to rebuild the temple. Well, there's not a lot of them, and they had to rebuild their houses and plant their gardens and take care of their sheep, and so not many people contributed time to rebuilding the temple. And the book of Haggai is written by a minor prophet against those Jews because they weren't doing that. In verse 6, he says, You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. <clears throat> you put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages to put it into a purse with holes. Verse 9, you look for months, behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. So you are a person who doesn't take time to help, uh, to send a note, to make a phone call, to love people, to go out of your way with those maybe that you don't know, uh, you don't make the effort, and what will happen in your life is that there's going to be a lot of stuff that you have no control over, taking all your time, taking all your energy, Number 21, churches that are characterized by loving one another will attract lost people to their Savior. Churches have an odor. You ever been around somebody that hasn't taken a shower for a week? They have an odor. Yesterday, men's breakfast. I got out of my car. Oh, wow, I love that smell. Oh, it's the smell of bacon. All the bacon you can eat. Wow, I love it. Drew me right in. Churches have odors. In other words, we can't consciously recognize it, but it's there all the same. Churches that love one another the way the Bible says, they have a power to attract people that are hurting, people that are looking for love, people that are confused, people don't know what the future is going to bring. They're looking, they don't know what, but there's certain churches that just have that power to draw people to them. We have social events. We have Monday night football. You're invited to come to Monday night football. A bunch of guys get together, eat chicken, talk football. We never talk Jesus. We just talk football. But there's an environment. Somebody comes into that environment, uh, it's addictive. Um, we create that by our love for one another. John 13, 34, uh, excuse me, John 17, 21 Jesus praying that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe. The world, the whole world will believe you sent me because the church is loving each other and is one. Twenty-two churches that have an environment of loving one another produce many strong disciples for Jesus. Churches that love one another have an environment that fosters and produces growth. We grow in a church that loves one another. We grow rapidly. Our kids grow. It's not the programs. It's God's presence. 
It's the power of God that's there as a blessing because we choose to love each other sacrificially. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, given even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You're my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. <clears throat> Churches are blown up everywhere. And it's because these principles are all being violated. And uh, so they work. In the worst of times, they work the best. And then we become powerful because of God's Spirit working in and through us. We become very attractive to a lost world that's looking for some answers in the midst of all this chaos and um, cancel culture that's going on. But it's a choice we make every day. Uh, I'm going to love whomever God brings into my life, no matter how difficult they may be to love. I'm going to forgive anybody of anything. I'm going to meet needs as they present themselves in my life. I'm going to pray for people. And so we choose to do that, and as we do, we become a powerful church that God will use.